What is happening, beautiful people? Got a good one for you today. Her people contacted my people, and I was actually able to book my wife, Monica, for a conversation today. Really excited for you guys to hear her story and how it ties into my story and ultimately becomes our story. Now, you will notice that the audio gets a little wonky at times. Uh, we It was an impromptu conversation that we decided to have in our living room, but uh, we're doing the best we can, so shut up. I still love you, though. Another disclaimer. We do talk pretty candidly about our previous drug use and the shenanigans that ensued. I just want to point out that we are in no way glorifying the use of illegal drugs. It pretty much destroyed both of our lives for quite a long time, and it took us a lot longer to rebuild the lives that we currently live today. So don't do anything that we said we did in this podcast. Now... If you want to have a good laugh, hear a good story that ultimately ends in a happy ending. Well, then sit back, relax. Don't forget to like, subscribe, download the podcast. However you hear this, I appreciate you. And uh, welcome. My name is Randy, and this is a memoir from my broken brain. It is, it is, <laughs> this it, is really weird. It's a, it's a little awkward, but you'll be all right. I promise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is my wife, Monica. Monica, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great. <laughs> yeah. It's a little hot in here, but other than that, uh, it's great. just me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, husband. <laughs> yes. See, and that's called love, people. So Monica did agree to jump on mic and, and speak with me today. Um, and it was pretty easy for her to say yes but i can tell now you know things it's a it's it's pretty vulnerable it's a it's an interesting feeling to be exposed in this way on the mic right um let's check out some of that nervousness right now like how are you feeling right now good good yeah yeah nervous about yeah, anything i'm good no okay awesome let's go okay well what is awesome about you besides marrying me oh i'm just awesome in general um well yeah, I guess um, I definitely qualify. I guess what makes us such a good match is a lot of what we have in common. Like, um, you know, I know you haven't gotten too deep into a lot of your stuff, but um, I definitely am an addict slash alcoholic and, you know, have been through some stuff and, um, you know, kind of going backwards just slightly, um, you know what got me there was a bad breakup and I didn't know how to handle it. And how old are you? 16, 16, 16. That's funny. Old. Cause that lines up pretty close to where things spiked in my story too, is when I was 16 years old. So how did that all start? Um, well, I mean, life was pretty good. Um, you know, I definitely do, you know, have alcoholic parents and, you know, I had my own issues and I always like to throw out there, like I, my parents are the best parents. Like I literally have the best parents in the world. Um, but there just was some stuff growing up in the home. Um, um, but other than that, things were amazing. And 
know, grew up in a nice area and I, you know, from the outside, you might think that I had it all. And I found this guy that was my first love. He was like my everything, you know, we did every, I mean, we went to Hawaii at 16 years old and we, you know, spent every waking moment together and, you know, he was, and this is only like a year relationship by the way, (laughs) but like, I mean, that's everything. That's an eternity as a teenager. You know, like, um, there was, there was just so much, um, that, when it didn't work out um and some of my behaviors that i had uh learned in the past that i didn't even know i had started coming out in this relationship and of course didn't even realize that until i you know got sober later but um you know things just didn't work out and i and i was devastated and um you know yeah i started partying a lot and um you know kind of bringing all those negative behaviors into another relationship and started, you know, partying even even more. And no, are we talking alcohol? Uh, both alcohol, pills. Yeah, those were my first loves, for sure. Um, and then I guess I ran into you at a party. <laughs> <laughs> that I. <laughs> that was a. Yeah. So that is an interesting story. You know, I had mentioned briefly that I wanted to bring Monica on to talk about, you know a lot about her and her struggle and specific more specifically us and our struggle so <laughs> what i didn't get into was that we did meet at this house party and i explained in the last episode that i was i was not the healthiest of people to begin with at this point in my life you know i was drinking all the time i was very outlandish i was uh, highly inappropriate um and I walk into this party, and the first thing I hear is that there's some crazy white girl in the back getting loud. Uh, and I was like, okay, that's precisely my speed. <laughs> so I walk out, um, and there happens to be Monica, who is intoxicated and who... Um, in a blackout. In a blackout. <laughs> in a blackout. And she was essentially volunteering the fact that she had just gotten some work done um, (laughs) in her chesticle region and was like, who wants to see him? And uh, my hand was the first one to be raised. I said, yes, I highly, uh, I I support you. You know, you're you're a strong, independent woman, and I believe that you know what's right for you, and I support your decisions. Yes, you're always very supportive. See, I'm see that's that's me. I'm a supportive egg, and uh, I don't even know if that's a thing. But then there proceeds to be the flashing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, top did come up, and uh, like I said, I mentioned, I alluded to the fact that I may or may not be Batman, but in ninja-like fashion, uh, a camera was pulled out, <laughs> and my smiling face with two thumbs up happened to get in get in the frame. And uh, that is now the mother of my child yeah. and my my loving wife. Yeah. 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 And it was, it really was, it sounds, it sounds pretty chaotic and it sounds crazy, but it's, it's a situation like that, that really, there is something in that that I'm like, okay, like this is, this is my person, you know, like it wasn't necessarily like, oh my God, I'm going to grow up and have the white picket fence and marry this woman and blah, blah, blah. But it was like. Oh, I need, I need, I need to know more. I need, I have to peek behind that curtain. You know, I have to 
I have to get in somehow. And uh, we began a relationship uh, shortly after. Uh, we had run into each other a couple different times uh, through mutual acquaintances, uh, all of which partying. Um, and two of our closest friends at the time actually started dating each other. And that kind of led into the double date situation in which you and I started dating. Um, and it was fun. It was, it was casual. It was very, very cookie cutter, very routine, right? We went to, went to a movie. Uh, we went to the fair. See, that's funny. Cause like, I remember just getting like drunk all the time <laughs> and like <laughs> well, we did that partying too. with you all the time and like spending all of our last money on like alcohol and buying like dollar chicken nuggets. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, Wendy's. that came, that came, that, that came, that came later for sure. But uh, during the double date time, during the courtship, right, the courting period is when we actually went out and did stuff. Uh, and this was another situation where we were two very broken people who happened to, for lack of a better term, get off on each other's chaos. And that's kind of what made us work for a long time. Uh, and I, I use work in a very loose. Codependent. Okay, very codependent. I mean, <laughs> I guess yeah, should be fucking Doctor Phil over yeah, here. That's what it very was. codependent. Yes, <laughs> I am absolutely codependent as well. Uh, and yeah, and and we were. It's like that that Eminem song, right? It's what happens when a tornado meets a volcano. Like that. That was us. You know, I mentioned that we were living super quickly, um, and it was it was hectic. Uh, and you know, I haven't revealed this yet. Uh, but the nature of my addiction is I am actually a sex addict. And this courting period was actually very high stakes for me because uh, I, I wanted to advance I wanted to advance this relationship as fast as possible for one, the companionship that I was longing for, but also uh, I read Monica as a hypersexual person like me, and I thought that that would be. Uh, that would satisfy a lot of needs uh, for, for me. To the point, uh, you want to define addiction uh, very early on in this relationship. Uh, I got a phone call from a friend that Monica was, uh, they, they went to Supercross or whatever at Angel Stadium, and, and she, was, she was partying, needed a, needed a ride home, uh, but she drove her car there. So I said, okay, cool. You know, this is, this is, this is a good situation. Maybe we can party more. Maybe we can take our relationship to the next level. And uh, I end up going, parking at a McDonald's outside of the stadium, picking her up from Angel Stadium in her car, driving her home, only to have my car towed the very next day. Uh, I never got that car back, and that was because of my poor decision-making in hopes that the commoditization aspect of our relationship at the time, like I had mentioned previously, would quote-unquote pay off you know so define addiction but uh it was it was crazy it was crazy we did a lot of partying back then you know um that's like like literally an understatement yeah yeah and you know i'm in the business of telling my story as bluntly as possible and i in no way am pressuring anybody to do the same uh, but our partying did evolve. Uh, it did snowball, I guess I should say. Uh, it was no longer just drinking and weed, right? We 
we got to a point where we did dabble in some oh yeah we, we had our meth phase our ecstasy phase our <laughs> ecstasy phase yeah yeah we sure did a totally like that 24 hours <laughs> So we <laughs> yeah. Had together. Yeah. Oh, so all right. So here's a story time. Uh, Twenty four hours, and, and feel free to chime in here too, uh, and add pieces of the story that I might not remember correctly because, you know, it was a crazy twenty four hours. Um, did it start off with the ecstasy? Um, that it had to have. Okay. Sorry, guys. So we, uh, we acquired some ecstasy, and uh, decided to ingest said ecstasy. Um, we then got a hotel room at a Motel 6 in the area. And uh, I made a poor decision to get behind the wheel and drive while intoxicated on uh, on ecstasy, on MDMA, and hit a curb, popped a tire, ended up running into like a parked a semi like not hard but like from a parking lot like i thought the car was in park and it wasn't just kind of rolled into it and uh and it was and it was crazy it was crazy it, it so i damaged the car was was the point of that story um we're in the parking lot of the motel six well the there was a guy before that was helping us <laughs> and we told him like we would smoke him out for helping us that's right and and then we got back, and then we couldn't find what we needed to smoke him out with, right? Like, right. and then the cop showed up, <laughs> and we were all really messed up, and you were sweating, and I was in and out, and you know he was just trying to be a good, you know, <laughs> person and helping us out, and I guess somebody had called and said that there, you know, was something on the road. It was, you know, um, didn't look right. And so they came to check it out. And that was actually a time where the police actually, um, you know, I actually have many times where, um, you know, the police were pretty cool. Um, but we didn't hide anything. They were like talking to you. They're like, are you messed up? And you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I am officer. <laughs> you know? yep. um, like, yeah. <laughs> and, and granted, I, I told them that I was, I was high on, on pot. I didn't say that I was on ecstasy. So that we were high on pot and we actually had a room here and that we were, you know, we were just going to go upstairs and spend the night in the room. We weren't going to, you know, bother nobody. And I believe you were on probation at the time. Oh, I was on probation for a while. Okay. For so years. that automatically allowed the cops to search the vehicle. And we th- honestly thought that we did not have anything on us. Um, no, that didn't that come the next day? Didn't they oh, find it the next sorry. day? Gosh, I'm really ruining the story. <laughs> sorry, guys. So, yeah. So, anyways, um, couldn't find anything. And the cop just kind of told us, like, so what you're telling me right now is that no one's going to get into this vehicle and you're going to go upstairs and sleep the rest of the night? And we were like, well, yeah. And he was like, no, no, no. What you're telling me <laughs> is that you're going to go into that hotel room and not leave until tomorrow. Is that correct? And we were like, Yes, officer, <laughs> that is correct. So we end up going up in the hotel room. Uh, we did end up smoking some guy out. It, was, it wasn't even the same guy. I don't, to be honest, I think it was like, somebody I don't in that hotel really remember who the like, weed. what even happened after that. I just remember the next morning 
you know, in the process of them searching the car, like left my lights on and it killed my car battery. And it was super hot and we didn't have any gas, which was pretty normal. Like, I think we were like constantly fishing for like just a few dollars uh, to get from like one city to the next on a daily basis. It was pretty ridiculous. But yeah, we were probably the reason the AAA changed their fuel policy for when they would come out to calls because uh, Monica had AAA. And if you had AAA, they would come out. And if you ran out of gas, they would throw a gallon of gas in your car. And we utilized that more than once. Yeah. So, so I remember it being really, really hot and we got in the car and the car wouldn't start and we needed a new battery and it cost a ridiculous amount of money. And I remember you called your aunt Diana in Alaska because we had burnt all of our other bridges. Nobody else would give us money. And she was so kind and she helped us out. But then we had to get, uh, we had to figure out how to get more gas and we had to figure out where to go and what to do because like we had nowhere. We didn't have money. I, we couldn't go to my house. We couldn't get like, we, we had nowhere to go. And one of our friends at the time said, Hey, like if we can get to Corona, we can get gas money. And, um, so we ended up trying to go get to Corona and then something happened. If I remember correctly, we ended up across the street from my old house at Yorba Regional Park. Yeah, we used to go there a lot. Uh, we used, there was a, a local park uh, that had a multiple parking lots, and that would kind of be our place. When, when you get into this cycle of just looking for your fix, getting your fix, running out of money, having to get money to get that next fix, to get money, to be broke. You know, once you sit into that, sp- that spiral – you tend to just find places to kill time. And we spent a lot of hours just sitting in a car parked somewhere trying to figure out our next move, trying to figure out the next hustle. And this was the spot that we were sitting at. And uh, so, okay, let me, let me rewind. This fucking car that Monica had had these fucking foil tint stars. It was mirror tint. And it was okay, pretty mirror, badass, mirror and I wish I could have stars. it again, but it's illegal. So You're a fucking child. It, was, it wasn't foil, it was a mirror, and it was awesome. Okay, okay, continue. So these mirror stars all over the fucking windows, right? Sitting in the parking lot, and uh, we, we are, by definition, shady looking. Um, and cop drove by, used the tint as a reason to come talk to us yes and we were extremely not doing okay physically because it was really really hot and we hadn't been uh, we didn't have anything to take the next day so we're like detoxing at this point and not in a very good mood and you know and then these cops roll up yeah and start giving us a hard time cops roll up start giving (laughs) us a hard time and of course here uh here comes the anybody on probation and parole question we're on probation. They're like, okay, we're going to search the vehicle. And this vehicle was a mess, by the way. There's, I mean, we were essentially, we had homes, but we were essentially uh, living out of this car pretty much. So there's trash and, and clothes and stuff in the back seat, and the car was a mess. And we were like, fucking go ahead, search the car. Like, we don't have anything. If we fucking had it, we would have we would have done those drugs, right? Like, if we would have, go ahead, please, please search, right? And so... Within 30 fucking seconds of the ser- cop searching, he finds the packed pipe that we were 
looking for literally the day before. looked everywhere. And even the police officers even the police searched didn't find it. and didn't find it. I still, to this day, have no idea where they found it or how what they I found What I think it. happened, now that I'm thinking about it with a sober mind, what I'm thinking happened was we packed it for the homeboy in the back seat who helped us out. He stashed it. And I guess he just stashed it real good. And so, yeah, so then the cops were like, pull that out. And, and my reaction was just like, oh, hey, we were looking for that. Right? <laughs> like, it was a little bit of weed. And at the time, like, I didn't give a fuck about cops. Like, you know, I was... I was I was too cool for cops. Cops were the enemy, you know. I was an outlaw, and that was that was my mindset. So you know, talk whatever shit, be cool with it, right? Like, oh yeah, I was looking for that kind of thing. So then they, <laughs> uh, so then the police that come to us, and they separate us, right? And they generally only do this with people when they find something, right? And what was the question that they asked you? They, I think they asked me, like, is this my meth? Yeah. That's what they asked me, too. They said, whose meth is that in the car? And and I laughed. I was like, meth? There's no fucking meth in the car. Because at that time, we weren't doing meth. Got to right. add that time. Yeah. It wasn't at that, at time, that time. At that time. At <laughs> that time, we weren't doing meth. Um, and so we were baffled. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> and and uh, the the cop said, whose meth is that? I was like, it's, there's no meth in the car. You're fucking tripping. And he pulls out this little dime bag that had this white substance in it. And Monica just starts fucking laughing. Now, Monica, please explain to the listeners <laughs> what one of your pastimes was while sitting for long hours in the passenger seat of a car. Yeah, so I we would regularly sit in a car, you know, like you said, waiting for our next move. And, you know, I I wasn't taking very good care of myself at the time. And, you know, my skin was really dry. And I, you know, I always had like this pocket knife that I carried with me. And, um, you know, so kind of, you know, I just sit there um, and we'd be listening to music in the car and we'd be with our friends and we'd be getting drunk, whatever. And I would just um, kind of like shave the dry skin off of my legs and you know for whatever reason thought it would be a good idea to put it in a little drug bag and you know keep it in my glove compartment for safekeeping I guess I don't know what was going through my head but um you know I I that's just you know what happened and and he totally found it and they thought that it was old meth is yeah, what they said. What they said. And they these, they these were guys, convinced. they thought that they had the fucking bust of the century right here. They were just like, that's, that just looks like old meth. And it was, it was laughable. And they're like, oh, we're going to fucking take this shit to the lab and we're going to fucking test it. And when we do, you know, you guys are going to jail, blah, 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 blah. Like, please right. do. You're like, like, please do. Right. So we're sitting in this fucking, I'm sitting in the back of a cop car detained. Monica's sitting probably on the front of the cop car with, with the police officer while one of them takes this bag of quote unquote old meth to the lab. Now, I didn't get the joy of hearing the radio call <laughs> because I was in the back of the car. Monica, what, when they tested the, uh, the substance in question, what did that radio call? oh man i can't remember the exact words but it was basically confirming that like we were right and like (laughs) it wasn't it wasn't meth and like the cop was just like smiled and was like i've been doing this for a really long time and i've never heard of anything like this before (laughs) and i'm just like you know i don't know didn't they say didn't they say at one point like 
do they want their bag of skin back? Like, <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I don't know. That's funny. And so then, that was, and this all is within a 24 hour span. Yeah. This is a, this was a ridiculous 24 hours. Fired drugs, took drugs, wrecked a vehicle. Multiple times. Got, m- multiple times. Got stopped by police. Got let go by police. Got, got assistance to help fix the vehicle at least to get it running. Oh, you know what? It actually was. We, the battery, I think that's how we ended up at the park. That's where they actually fix the battery. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so we had them come to the park, fix the battery, only to get stopped by the cops again for them to find a bag of skin, tell us that it's meth, and then let us go with their head held down and tail between their legs and us with this awesome story to tell. You know, uh, And even though it's funny to laugh about now. Well, you know, there was one more part when we were driving to Corona on the freeway and then because the car was wrecked, the front, the front hood was bent in. It flew up on the freeway and completely smashed the windshield, deeming the car completely totaled. And so that happened. And by the grace of God, and I truly say that passionately, (laughs) like by the grace of God, (laughs) we, we're fine we you know all times that we wrecked that car i mean that would be the third time that something happened to that car within 24 hours like we were good nothing happened to us you know um but yeah that was a crazy that was i was still to this day the the craziest 24 hours that has ever happened to me yeah and it's it's nuts it is absolutely bananas uh one that we're alive and this was now for the sake of entertainment this was just one of many stories uh, that. Oh, we have tons of. Stories we have tons of stories, and like maybe this. maybe we can do another episode where we just tell these stories. But I think that uh, this just kind of gives an idea um, of where we were, and this was like we had said before. We dabbled into methamphetamines, and at the time, I was spending every bit of money that I had from a job that I was barely working. Uh, for hotel rooms we were staying in a hotel because i had burnt the bridge the relationship with my parents uh, they knew that i was i was sick and and it was not the place for me and of course in my head it's like fuck them this is their choice right because that's that's what we did uh and you were just along for the ride with me you were able to go back home your parents knew that some shit was taking place but uh, I wasn't comfortable. But just... I wanted to get out. I wanted to run. I did not want to be around people. I didn't want to be around anything. Like, I was very ashamed of who I was, who I had, like, the person I had become. And you felt the same <laughs> way, that you felt the same way. And um, and we bonded over our addiction, for sure. Like, hardcore. Like, one of us should have died. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> you know, like... For sure. I mean, there was there was a night where we... We got so high on on meth that we fully both believed that we had partied with these people who were staying in the hotel as well that didn't fucking exist. Oh yeah, no. And we manifested <laughs> we manifested it together. Like we both we were on just the same page. Would like come up with lines and we were just making shit up and like but then the other person would believe it. And so yeah. I would say, like, Oh yeah, do you remember that guy? And you'd be like, Yeah, was he with so and so it was just crazy. it was chaotic. It was and that was the same night that no, maybe it was the next morning, right? That you like completely forgot. Yeah, we ended up we ended up we uh, 
uh, I believe that this is a symptom of overdose from meth, but I, I don't know. But we passed out. Um, and when we woke up, I didn't know my name. You literally didn't know who I you were. I didn't know my name for and for I a thought while. we I thought you were joking. Yeah. And you know, and then that's when we had to call a friend at the time, and and she came over, and I'm like, dude, I'm gonna call your mom. <laughs> like, don't fuck <laughs> around. <laughs> like, <laughs> and like, you just couldn't, and you were looking at your ID, and you were confused, and it was yeah. like, and it took you a while to snap out of it, and um, you know, you you did. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and of course, you know, I had to to play the lie, like, oh no, it's just because you know, because we ended up calling my mom. At one point, because I took some uh, sleeping pills because I was like, I need to sleep. Haven't been up for too long. Went to the doctor to get sleeping pills. And then my mom came to check on me. And it was at this point that, like, we knew things were rough. And um, I ended up hiding at your house for a while, living there, you know, pretending I would leave uh, in the morning to go to work. And then after your parents left for work, I would come back to the house and hang oh, yeah, out with you all day. Yeah, we did that for a really long time. Yeah, and, and then I would, too. your parents would go to bed, <laughs> parents would go to bed, and I just wouldn't leave. And so they just thought I was coming. Well, okay. We later found out that they knew that I was living there. And they essentially just said, look, stop fucking hiding the kid. Like They didn't know the entire time, but they did end up finding out. Yes. And, and, and then you did live with us. Yeah. And then it was actually during this time uh, that we began conversations with family in Alaska. And Yeah, it was a really crazy point. That's when I was getting into a lot of trouble and I was supposed to have court, um, you know, to face a lot of my charges. And I was really scared at the time and um, a natural runner. And this was like the perfect door for me to run through. And you uh i'll let you yeah so we uh I, I know i touched on this before but we we ended up just packing up and like within just like a week's time we ended up packing up and just taking off to alaska yeah we left on my court date i yeah. was supposed to have court that day and i said peace out yeah and if you want to talk about fear if you really want to talk about fear try going through lax security with a known fugitive, well, not a known fugitive, but in you know, with someone who missed their court date, there was an active warrant out. And they for her. and they stopped you, right? Like they didn't even yep. stop. They me. didn't stop. They didn't stop Monica. They stopped me. Yeah. So we get to Alaska, and I know Alaska from my point of view, right? But like, what was going on through your head going to a new place with new people? Um. Yeah. I had I had friends even before going you know try to talk me out of it because they're like what are you doing you know like why are you just picking up and leaving and going to Alaska you know um especially because we as a couple were not the favorite um we were very destructive together we were very secretive we were really shady we did a lot of things that uh a lot of people d couldn't believe what we were saying we just like weren't bought a lot of money we Burn a lot of bridges, Diddle, used did, up yeah. every bit of favor that we could find. We did. And so I had some people try to talk me out of it. and But in my mind, all I wanted to do was run. And I wasn't really thinking about anything else, you know, to be honest. It was a really selfish decision. I wasn't, um, you know, at the time my parents had, um, you know, bailed me out of jail. And they had, you know, uh, put their house down. Um, and... 
had even, you know, I, I didn't care about that either, you know, and, and it later came out that it was an issue because they were, my dad got, you know, promoted and uh, he was going to transfer, um, and they couldn't sell the house, uh, because of, you know, what had happened, but I just did not care. It, nobody but myself was in mind, you know, um, but I was happy to be there when we got there. I was, I, I felt free for a second. We did a lot of partying right when we got there <laughs> until I yeah, found out did. I was pregnant. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that was kind of an interesting thing too, because you had thought you were pregnant uh, at first when we got up there and I got really excited. And then you took the first test and it came back negative. Yeah. And, um, and I wanted to will that into a positive, <laughs> but it turns out that, you know, God did that for us because you were actually pregnant. It just didn't show up on a test until like a week or two. Yeah. Later. You had always wanted kids. I, d- I didn't, always. you know, that was never, I'm so grateful that we have our daughter now, you know? Um, but you definitely like, you wanted to fill that, that hole with a child. <laughs> yeah (laughs) which yeah oh yeah definitely definitely you know and i think that you know i i've done i've done a lot of reflecting and a lot of looking into why that is because i mean even back when i was a teenager like if it was in the cards for me to be a young parent like that's what i wanted like i wanted a kid when i was like 17 18 years old you know which is fucking stupid 21 right i was i was 21 when we found out that you were pregnant I think I was 22, you were 21 when she was actually born. Um, so, yeah, so we both got jobs up there. We, uh, I pr- got promoted pretty quickly in the retail space, you know. Um, number one employee at Hot Topic was, uh, you know, and uh, and you actually had a really interesting job. I loved my job. Yeah, what were you doing I up there? I worked at um, VCA, so Alaska Pet Care, and it was a phenomenal job. I had always wanted to work with animals, and I loved it. I loved it, loved it. It was so sad when we left to have to quit that job. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And we made the decision together to come back to California where there was more family, where, you know, we had spent about a year away, a little less than a year, you know, science. And we kind of were coming back. People started missing us. Well, some people, my parents. Started missing us, your parents started missing us a little, you know, and we, we came back when you were really pregnant, right? Well, my parents too. I mean, they were on me all the time. They were like, please, can you come back? Um, you know, and, and that was a thing to turn yourself in. Um, they ended up being able to release the house that I guess bounty hunters were fine like after me for a couple of days and they found me. And since Alaska is a non-extraditable state, they were able to say that they technically, you know, like booked and released me and my parents were able to, to sell the ho- um, their house and move. Um, however, they were really on me for, um, you know, coming back and taking care of what I need to do, especially because we were having a kid too. You know, there was a lot of pieces. There was, it was more than just like, Oh, we want to come back for the support. You know, that was a big piece, but well, to be honest, I think a lot of of it was, yeah. If we had to really make the decision that if we were going to have the baby up there, chances are we would have stayed up there forever or at least for a long, long time. And doing what we do best at the time we turned our relationships up there pretty sour too mm-hmm. and pretty uh, we 
pretty yeah. quickly and burn those bridges we, <laughs> we burn those bridges you know ended um, up in a hotel room again yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah ended up in, in a hotel room again. that was only for like a night though. i mean but it happened but it happened pattern. and then so <laughs> you know uh, i did mention we do have alaska stories there's a lot of fun fun uh fun situations that, that took place up in alaska and then the drive home from alaska um but we'll we'll move this story along a little bit here uh we get back to california and we start actually living with my grandparents yeah. you know we have the baby and things just started getting a little bit worse heavier into my pill addiction because i had a c-section and i couldn't like my tolerance i couldn't handle it and um so i got back into that and um i think i was on house arrest for 60 days (laughs) so you would so you would go get the pills for me because i couldn't leave (laughs) yeah and me being codependent right codependent me the the last thing that i would ever want would be for you to not like me for you to not love me anymore for for you to you know even for sorry for you know anybody this might come across as offensive but you know i didn't want the the well to run dry so to speak and you know we we were at a a a point in our relationship to where there was zero intimacy anyways we were both kind of just going through the motions trying to stay alive using each other for survival what there was um, no we there was love but we didn't we didn't we couldn't really feel it and we couldn't really show it you know it just we were incapable we were incapable we were broken human beings and all we could do was what we could to survive i was somewhere else i wasn't capable of loving anybody at that time including myself yeah um it did end up getting to a point where we left my grandparents and we uh got into a place um it was very short-lived and it was a place that we we had to actively fuck this up the we got we got hooked up we got hooked up uh for letting us move in there the landlord the the property manager who wasn't the owner but the property manager was really cool and she basically furnished our apartment for super cheap because she was getting new furniture so we were able to use tax money and pay her like a thousand bucks to get two couches a coffee table a flat screen tv an entertainment center and you know and she would uh she would be cool with us just cool with us right we burnt that bridge obviously because we used our money for shit we used our money for mcdonald's and and pot at the time yeah we didn't um and i was taking a lot of the money without you knowing and buying pills and then coming up with bullshit or getting my parents to kind of make up for whatever it was and then i'd be telling my parents bullshit and um you know like oh my gosh we're gonna get evicted and you know they felt bad because of kaylin they didn't want our daughter to be on on the street you know yeah so and it was around this time our downgrade just continues, right? We ended up moving into a little back house for a little while that wasn't even, it was a single bedroom with a bathroom in it, and it was a, it was a back house. Struggled to pay rent there until we ended up just bouncing from there. Uh, and It wasn't for lack of money either. Like, I always have to throw that out there. Like, we always have, well, you always made the money. <laughs> but I, I was really good at hustling, know, we, no matter what. I was yeah. always, even as a kid, you know, it was one of the skills I had. You know, 
hey, can I borrow a dime? Can I borrow a dime? I'm a dime away from, from lunch, you know? And then at the end of the day, I got 15 bucks, and me and my homies go to Del Taco. You know, like, I've always had a, a, a mindset for, for getting the paper. The paper wasn't an issue. Uh, spending was the issue. <laughs> and we, we were very irresponsible. Of course, we were still both really sick. Uh, at this point, we're basically left with living in a hotel. You know, that, that little back house was the last actual home that we had for a very long time. Yeah, and at the hotel, uh, I was no longer working, and Monica wasn't working, and we had to result, resort to some extreme measures to make that money, right? Um, and we got, Monica got a job that was very unhealthy for her addiction, right? Uh, and that, how did, that's really when things started getting super dark for you right yeah um it was a very 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 dark time for me to have to do um what I was doing at the time it was um just really demoralizing as a person and I in order to even think about doing it, it had to be messed up and I remember that's when like especially like my drunk driving kicked in I was like I would be like leaving work and I would be getting home and I would have no idea how I'd get home and sometimes it would be like two o'clock in the morning and sometimes it'd be four o'clock in the morning and I would like have no recollection of what was even happening and like I hate I mean if I didn't already hate myself that's when I truly like I, I couldn't I couldn't it was hard it was so hard to to be around people to be around you guys to to do anything um but I was not very employable either and I backed myself into a corner and um made myself believe that there were only certain options and uh, yeah when we get this deep in our addictions it's almost like we only deserve you know we feel like we're getting what we deserve and we don't deserve anything more and it was during this time too that my addiction to pornography was really taking off because I was home by myself upset with the situation upset with what I knew that the woman of the woman I love was having to subject herself to just so we can pay the hotel room. Uh, things went from bad to worse from there. Uh, I know Monica touched on taking money out of the kitty uh, before, and she took a lot of money out of the kitty this time. Uh, and uh, it ended up resulting in an altercation where both of us were at fault for uh, becoming physical with each other. Uh, police were called and when the police came the option was we both go to jail or one of us goes to jail and we opted I said no we're uh, take me take me right uh, and so I I went to jail for for the for the altercation um, the first time right we can fast forward living more in hotels uh, I end up getting out and there's a mandatory restraining order on the situation. Obviously, Monica and I can't stay away from each other because we love each other so much. And yeah. and yeah. Uh, and so long story short, <laughs> I ended up getting caught uh, being around her again. And that's when I did my longer bid in county. And it was during this time that I would say our relationship hit one of its all-time lows. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I 
was already completely unfit because like i mean we tell this story but all of this because we had kaylin shortly after we came back so like rewind all of this stuff of like going to hotels and and losing our place and me spending all of the money on you know drugs and us getting screwed up all the time this is while having our daughter you know so i was already completely unfit to be a mother and um, you know, when that had happened, I, you know, your mom had offered to, you know, watch Kaylin and help out with Kaylin. And that was like my green light. And like, then like that, that was an excuse for me to completely lose myself. I didn't have any more strings attached. I could like go buck wild and you were, you know, sitting in there, you know, waiting for me, hoping I would be, you know, loving and faithful. And, and then I was just like, new chapter in my life, (laughs) like open, you know, I ran to Corona. I started, you know, hanging out with some really bad people and did some, you know, just did the crazy things that you do when you're on meth and, um, you know, won't get into all of that (laughs) because we don't have the time for that. (laughs) Um, you know, but eventually I, I did so much meth that I went into a meth psychosis and I didn't know what was real and what wasn't. And, um, you know, that's a huge, huge, huge part of my story. If anybody's ever heard of the Truman show, like the movie, um, that was my reality during that time. Um, you know, which was interesting because right before that happened, like I was in a scary place where, you know, I thought that, uh, I was going to die and everybody was going to kill me. And I, you know, saw knives on everybody and I saw like, I would hear trash. Like knives, like they have like, no, like, like not, no, like, uh, well, I, I said I hung around some like bad people who had, you know, stuff on them all the time. And every time they like, they would grab their pocket, they would grab, like do something. I was like, Oh my God, like, this is it. Like, this is when I'm going to die. Like I would hear trash bags. So I'm like, okay, they're, they're getting ready to like, you know, chop me up and like, you know, like dispose of me. And, um, and then something happened where I, you know, had this experience where I was in the Truman show and where I started, um, hearing, you know, people outside talking about me. And I was convinced that the TV was talking about me and they would, there was this commercial that came on about this reality show that was like, you know, about these average Joes, you know, like being diamonds in the rough and, and for whatever reason that like that spoke to me, you know, and I started tripping, like I started like listening to music and I'd be like, dude, I'm sorry. I'm feeling insane, you know, like, and then the song, like, insane in the membrane, (laughs) insane in the brain, and I, like, tripped out, and I was like, something's going on, it's not just (laughs) in my head, you know, (laughs) like, I started really, like, hallucinating, you know, and I started, um, just having this actually really positive response to this meth psychosis, which, you know, um, you know, I, I'm really, really grateful for but I'm also terrified at these at the same time I truly believe it's one of the reasons why I've kept my sobriety for so long because I I just don't know if I'll ever come back from something like that but um it did have the power to get me sober and I was convinced that like you know I would I would hear friends voices I would hear your voice I would hear um my family's voice and like you were the center of a lot of my hallucinations like I was convinced that like you were running in a lot of like what was going on like you knew everything already that everybody had known everything about me I was already. controlling the simulation yeah it was like everybody like everything that I had ever hid every deep dark secret anything that um I thought that I was hiding had finally like to me it was like a light bulb like 
they know I wasn't hiding anything. And I, you know, ended up going to my first meeting. And how long, how long were you, uh, away? Uh, I know that we had separated when I was in jail. How long were you away before you had this experience? Um, a few months, maybe four months, four to six months. I don't know. How long was it? Cause my timeline's off. Oh, okay. You're asking me? I'm asking you. Yeah, like, it was over a year. It was over. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> See, it was over like a year. I, I'm really bad with, like I tell people all the time, I'm like, I have no concept of time. Like back then I literally got to a place where like, I, I'm convinced that like 80% of like what happened in my life, like I don't remember, I don't remember correctly. You know, like even when it came to my two DUIs that I got within 12 days of each other, like I didn't even find that out until way later in my sobriety you know um so anyways um yeah so you went to your first meeting i went to my first meeting um you know where i was encouraged to share about what I was going through at the time and I had never done anything like that before and I literally was convinced that everybody knew everything anyways so I spilled whatever I could in that five minutes that they allotted me and I shared every darkest dark secret that I so had. So this was like right after the psychosis? This was, this or was in the during midst of my it. psychosis. My psychosis lasted even like a, close to a year even in sobriety and I'm sure you remember because I thought that I was pregnant when I wasn't and um, was not all there and I did a lot of soul searching, but, um, worship Korean Jesus. I did, forget about I that. did. Yes. Um, but it got me sober and, um, you know, by the grace of God, I've stayed sober and relapse is not a part of my story. Um, you How know, long have you been sober? uh, it'll on the 28th of June, I'll have eight years. Yes. I'm really proud of that. Um, but I have, you know, I've, I've always done everything that, you know, was suggested of me, but I, like I said, I do feel like it took so long for the voices to leave. And um, I was really afraid to tell people, like once I started to realize that like it, this isn't real, um, I was really afraid to have that conversation with people because I thought I was just crazy. But I had such a positive experience that I didn't want to let it go. You know, it was really inspirational. I totally in my heart of hearts believe it was God driven and um, you know, whatnot. And I've just grown since. So after you came back, you, you got some sobriety under your belt. Um, you then made contact with me Yeah. and yeah. I was not receptive. Uh, I was not receptive no. at first and I treated you like shit. Rightfully uh, so. I treated, so. I, maybe, maybe not. I mean, the anger may have been justified, but I don't feel like my behavior is condonable. Um, I, I, I did treat you like shit. I had mentioned that I had treated, you know, my biological father like shit for the same way. I felt like you had a debt to pay me. And, and our first couple conversations were quite hostile, uh, by my, by my part, you know, I wanted nothing to do with it. I was, I was hurt, you know, I was, I was in a lot of pain and I was, delving deeper and deeper into my own addiction you know i was by myself you know and when i say by myself that doesn't mean i was on an island i had tons of support i had tons of love but i was essentially a single father for for that year and 
all will trying to manage my own addiction, trying to get back on my feet after getting out of jail from making money, getting back to work, you know, trying to live this quote unquote normal life while still trying to feed that addict who who's just been deep inside of me doing push ups the whole time. And yeah, I was not very receptive. Uh but I did make what I did was I kind of laid it out as an ultimatum kind of, right? You wanted to re-enter into the realm of motherhood, and I felt that it was only fair if you had shown me that you can put together the same amount of time sober as you were away, we would then, you know, start working forward. Um, And in my head at the time, it was, I'll let you be involved in our daughter's life. Uh, Now... What? I should say I barely. I want to add barely. Barely what? Was I involved in her life? Oh yeah. Wait, rightfully so. No, I'm no, grateful. No. That but I'm saying like that, that was those were the steps that I had felt were the the law I needed to lay right now. Obviously, I didn't stick to that as firmly as I wanted to. Um, and when you were putting together some some time, you were doing great in your sobriety. You started working again you know, a real job, like a normal job. And, uh, and what had happened is I was so broken and I was like the thought of like just being alone any longer. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And, um, you and I started talking a little more closely. Uh, we, we were a little more cordial with our conversations and it took a lot of work on my part. I just, I, I have to add, cause like, I had no idea about your addiction at this point. I mean, you always joked about, you know, um, or I guess maybe it wasn't joking, but you were always telling me like, yeah, like I'm addicted to porn. I'm a, you know, I, I'm a sex addict and I didn't, um, not understanding or knowing what I know now. I did not. I mean, that wasn't serious. So I I didn't like, I didn't know what that really was. I thought that that was just the, code word for like i'm just a hypersexual person uh until like it ended up becoming something that was ultimately bringing me down and tearing me down ripping me apart limb from limb and the fact that i'm codependent and that i did love you i never stopped loving you then the addict in me saw this as an opportunity to fill the hole that had been ripped out of me and you know, and once again, you being sober, you were working on some some of the guilt you felt, right? And you gave me way more than I deserved, especially at first. Well, I thought you were an angel. I was like, I'm never going to be able to compensate for what I did to you because, I mean, I was unfaithful and I cheated and lied and I did a lot of things that I did regret for a really long time. You know, it took me a long time to heal from. And you tried. And I really, and I, and I did. It. I and I dry. like... I like threw myself at you in so many ways. I mean, like love songs every day and text messages. And I, there was even a part of my sobriety where I like what, like you were, what was keeping me sober, you know, like it, that's what I needed to keep me sober. Like I was going to win you back and, and it didn't work until of course I had to truly be okay and comfortable letting go. And then that's when how did you get to that point? Because what had happened for for those listening who don't know is it did get to a point where I was not meeting you halfway in our quote unquote relationship. 
and you were giving me way more than I was willing to give you because at the time I was having my cake and eating it too and I was you know just living very unhealthily and I was not giving you what you deserved or meeting you halfway with what you were giving me and you got to a point where you laid it out for me and you said look I'm never going to stop loving you but I'm not going to keep chasing you like this like we we need to seriously talk about what's going on here right how did you get to that point what helped you get there because what that reads like to me is that you you had an epiphany of your own value you realized how special you are and realized that you were not being treated as such yeah well i mean that comes with uh, day after day working on yourself and really working through the wreckage and really working on my feelings and really like once i was able to get through the guilt and the shame of what I had did and I started to prove to myself with sobriety and getting a job and keeping friendships and being a decent person um you know I started to realize that maybe I wasn't the piece of shit that I thought I was and and then I started to realize too that like maybe me and you were not meant to be and I and I'm a very big believer of like what's meant to be will be and if that door shuts and it was for a reason and another door will open and I uh, came to a place in my recovery where I was able to finally let go and accept that and it took a while because my will wanted you back right away my will wanted but it wasn't time yet like I had a lot of work to do on myself in order to that and then of course as soon as that happened that's when that shift changed and then I started you know I think I even dated for a second you know outside of you and that was very short-lived but um then we did start to slowly come together and it was just totally not of my own making I don't like that's my higher power doing you know and a lot of it too was I had realized that I was objectifying you I was treating you as something that was giving me something that I needed and that's that's when I realized that I was about to lose you you know and then I realized like okay I've already lost you once like even through all this shit we gave each other a million reasons to leave and to end it oh yeah and I, I I couldn't not have you around I I needed you in my life and I didn't know why you know I didn't know why because on paper like (laughs) I should have let you go you should have let me go that's on paper what what but but like you said everything happens for a reason and there were higher there were forces greater than us at play here for sure uh so we ended up getting closer over time we began the uh, the dating process over again yeah we started brand new we were dating and you know, fast forward, we ended up getting a place together and moving in. Um, and it was, it was awkward at first for me because I knew that I wasn't fully ready to be the man that you thought I was and that you deserved to have. Yeah, I was totally fooled yeah. because I, I was like ready. I was like, I thought that you were somebody completely different yep. and you know, um, but we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. And- <laughs> Yeah, and, and so, you know, I was working. I, I continued to, to work. Monica continued to work. And things just kind of kept going. Uh, at the time, um, your work schedule played really well into my addiction schedule because I would work during the day. You would work at night, which means, you know, child rearing at home. So 
you know, feeding our daughter, getting her bathed, getting her ready for bed, and then getting ready for school in the morning, that type of thing. Those are the things that I actually do well. If we're talking about high-functioning addiction, you know, and, and I know that some people listening might kind of cringe at the fact, like, oh, well, it's not like a chemical dependency. Well, it can be debilitating, and and it was, absolutely. And that was what I did well, right? Parenting is one of the th- things that I did well, um, at least for the most part, uh, until I didn't, right? Until, you know, it was, okay, kids in bed, now it's time to uh, what I would call act out uh, sexually. So be engulfing in pornography or uh, engaging in inappropriate conversations with, with strangers online, right? It was all, uh, it was the time, right? I was by myself at night and then you would come home, I would already be asleep and we would just start that cycle over. We never really saw each other except for the weekends. And even then, I knew I was living a double life and you were giving me all of you. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I would have to assume that uh, over time, this started becoming more and more apparent that just something wasn't right. Oh, yeah. I had multiple feelings, but I had my blinders on for a long time, too. Like I had this image of what I wanted you to be and who I thought you were. And in my head, even though when we were really toxic together, you were still always super faithful to me and super loving and you never gave up on me and you were obsessed with me and I loved it. I loved all of it, you know, and um, so in my head, I never even thought twice about you being any or being capable of doing anything different, you know, um, and so that, yeah. yeah. And so this all came to a head uh, when I went on a trip uh, with some family. And there was someone on this trip whom I was, Monica was suspicious of me spending time with. Now, the funny thing about this is that this situation never transpired in the way that, you know, Monica thought that it would or even that, you know, I had thought it could have. It never did. But it was enough to when I got home, uh, it sparked... It lit an ignition, and that ignition uh, brought forth a line of questioning and then brought forth the uncovering of this secret life that I was living through means of, of uh, social media accounts and, and you know text message histories and things like that. And all of my shit just came to the surface. Oh, yeah, we were engaged. We, we were we engaged. Can't, we can't. Oh, yeah, we can't. get that part. Oh, yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, we, sorry, not only were we engaged, (laughs) not only were we engaged, but we had a wedding date set. We had a wedding date set. We had like half of it planned. We had half of the wedding planned, Mm -hmm. you know, and we, all of this came to the surface and it broke us both, you know, it broke us both. And I had mentioned before, you kicked me out for good reason um, and canceled the wedding and, you know, I had to go with my tail between my legs back to my parents' house and say, hey, I fucked up. Like, this is what happened. Can I crash here? And I thought that, that was it. I thought it was over. I thought that that there was there was no coming back from this. And after, after a little bit of time, uh, Monica agreed to talk to me. And you basically sat me down. And you were like, look, fucker, like... You're fucking broken. There's something fucking off with you. I knew it was always something, you know. And I even it is important to note too that even during uh 
Monica's sobriety, I had continued drinking pretty heavily. Oh, yes. You know, uh, that not, was a problem, too. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. that I was drinking every night, but I would go out on weekends and I would get fucking hammered because I'm not the one with the drinking problem, you know? So that was that was a mindset I had. And so I was just, you know, I would get home and whenever the fuck I wanted, I was out whenever I wanted. I wouldn't come home when I said I was going to come home, you know? And I still... Tracking you down at 3 o'clock in the morning yeah. and couldn't get a hold of you. Yeah, and, and it got to yeah. the point where, you know, like I said, in my head, I was like, well, fuck it, like... I'm still up one in the game, right? Like, I'm still up one. And there was a part of me that thought you were too, you know? Uh, like I said, I was never in a place where I thought that I could, that things could ever break even because of what I had done to you, you know? Um, so we, we had that conversation in the car, and you're like, look, I know what you're going through on an addiction side, I, but it's up to you to walk through the door. You know that there are people that you can talk to and places that you can go to address these addictive behaviors. And I took that. I, I, I took that and it was it was the the life raft. It was the uh the rope that I'd spoken about previously that I needed to cling on to because what I didn't tell people was that my pain behind the scenes on the surface i looked like i was just doing what i wanted having the time of my life you know uh, i had mentioned having my cake and eating it too but really what was happening was i was in so much pain that i needed to up the ante every time in order to numb that pain and it had gotten to a point where what i was doing wasn't even fun anymore it wasn't fixing the pain it was only making it worse and you know i had gotten to a point where I had seriously considered, you know, punching my ticket, you know, uh, just clocking out on the whole thing, on life, on my existence. And had this trip and then this discovery and then this guidance of pointing me to uh, what ultimately saved my life, uh, I, we wouldn't be sitting here talking today. You know, I wouldn't have a story to tell, uh, you know, and I don't think I've ever truly thanked you enough and I don't think I could ever thank you enough for that you know uh you basically led me to water but you were like look fool you're the one that has to fucking drink and and I did you know I I, I then learned how to live uh live a life worth living in a spiritual way and now I devote every day to just bettering myself a little bit each day right a little bit. and it's not it's not always pretty, you know, we're both human. No, you know? It took a lot of time for us to heal, you know, um, from, from all of that. It's, it's not easy to have to do what we did and then to have to start over again. Yeah. You know, like we've started yeah. over how many times now? Yeah. But, but what's funny <laughs> is like now I had just said that I'd always felt like I was up one. Now Monica was like, Oh, I was stoked. Like, oh, I was like, we're even, we're bitch. Even bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, Don't even I was, fucking. Like, I was in so much pain. I have never felt something so painful before. I will just be so honest. And I've gone through a lot of painful stuff. And that was by far the most painful thing I've ever gone through. Um, because I was sober and I could actually feel. I'm sure there's been other things that would be, you know, cause a lot of pain. But I wasn't. I wasn't actually feeling it. This I was feeling and it hurt. Um, 
you know, and it took a lot of, and, but it was like, but at the same time I was like, fucking A. Yeah. Like now we're even... he, he can't say shit to me anymore. Cause he's just as bad as I was. <laughs> and I was, there was a part of me that was like, fuck yeah, maybe we have a chance. You know, and I was actually really shocked when you decided to get help because I didn't take you as a type to get help because you always talked a little bit of shit on my program. And um, and I never thought that you would um, be willing to do what you needed to do and what I needed to do. And I am so blessed to have you as a partner because you run a program like I run a program. And I know a lot of people who don't run programs the way that I, you know, that that works that is solid that is consistent that is like you never giving up and you know transparent and just honest and you know like and pure and you know like higher power driven and you know whatever you know and our higher powers you know even look different at times you know but it's just like so magical you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, uh, I guess everything does happen for a reason, that's the, that's you know, the only like, word for it. and, and, you know, this isn't like, it was just, <laughs> I always like to say it wasn't just pizzas and blowjobs, right? But it wasn't all flowers and rainbows. Well, no. you know, it wasn't all flowers and rainbows the whole time. You know, we, we, we're oh still God, human. No. We're still at, we're still recovering addicts and, you know, you can be a little asshole sometimes. Oh, and for it, sure. Absolutely. I no, be an that's too. like we, we my are, default mode. <laughs> I you know. have to work on a daily basis to keep that in check. <laughs> but it was, you know, I, I we've been talking for an hour about how, you know, things happen for a reason. And we truly believe that these paths were set forth, you know, for us, you know, set for us to walk. You know, we don't get forced to walk them, but but the guardrails are there. And some would say that the pain that you had to go through in order to get the help that you needed to become able to empathize and help the pain that I was going through is the only reason that this is all here today. You know, like we, that pain is ours and that pain has led us here for a reason. Right. Uh, I think that you being able to, you you learning how to better equip your pain as a tool for propulsion as opposed to a setback is the only reason why we're sitting here talking. Because if you didn't know what that was like, if you didn't know how you felt, I mean, if you didn't know how I felt during all this, that empathy wouldn't have, there'd be no reason, right? Yeah, it's amazing how things come full circle. And how everything happened exactly the way that it was supposed to. And that like when I look back on things and look on like my decisions and what I've done and whether it's in our relationship or to myself or whatever, it's like I wouldn't change anything because like it's brought me to this exact moment and in our relationship, like it's just mind blowing that like everything was so timed out perfectly because even down to when this stuff happened, because if I didn't have the time and sobriety, if I didn't have the tools that I had, if I didn't have anything like that and I had heard and you know, you're you're, you know, coming out, you know, what happened every um what do you guys call it? It's a discovery. Discovery. There you go. Um, if that wouldn't have if that would have happened any sooner, 
I would have followed all of my same patterns that I would have followed before because heartbreak was my number one offender. And that did something really special for me. I was able to finally conquer like my biggest demon demon. And that was like, I could get through anything, you know, like that was like my kryptonite. And, but if it would have happened sooner, like I could have probably relapsed over it. Yeah. You know? And and here's, here's the thing too. And here's something that, that I talk about quite often is that I had always told myself too, that all this shit, once the wedding, once we get married, it's over. Like, it's done. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop living this way. I'm going to stop doing these things. And looking back on it now, there is no way I would have ever stopped. It, it, and I'm just so grateful that all of this happened before the wedding, before we got married. Oh, yeah, me too. You know, um, yeah. because it really gave us the time to work, for me to work on myself, to get to a point to where we can work on our relationship together. You know, and it's it still is a daily struggle. You know, um, we we we're still us. You know, yeah. but I like to say that we are both shattered people, but our jagged edges fit together like a puzzle. And you know, you are the the matching crazy to my crazy. You know, there's a lot that people don't know about us. There's a lot that people don't know about the things we've been through, and 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 that's you know that's that's the real definition of a ride or die right there for us to both be sitting here right now <laughs> talking about this with a smile on our face, you know, grateful for, for the pain, you know, and it's, it's something special, man. It's, it's something really special. And after, after a couple years of some work and some, some climbing out of some holes for the two of us and rebuilding our relationship and regaining that trust and working together to becoming better people individually and then becoming a better team together you know then what happened we finally got married we did and it was such a trip because i had people ask me like it but getting married for you guys isn't really going to be that big of a deal right because you guys have been together for so long you've known each other for so long and you've you know been living together for so long you know like and because yeah if you look at the timeline it's about you know what 11 12 years uh, once we actually like got married and, and I was like, no man, like this is a, this is a completely different version of our relationship. One where we are truly, truly honest with each other and we know how to identify with our feelings and where we work together as a team and we know we, we don't argue and we don't like, we work our differences out and we communicate and like it's based on love and like you know and pure purity like I love that word it's just pure and so no it it wasn't just us getting married it was so like making that commitment to you was something on a whole nother level that I can't even like put into words yeah you know oh yeah for sure you know and at the time of recording this and by the time it actually comes out it'll probably be a lot closer but in about a week from now we will actually be celebrating our one year anniversary. June 9th. June 9th. We've been together for like Ever. 13 years, <laughs> but we're finally. Minus that, like, you know, break in between. Yes. But I mean, overall, yeah. Yeah. And we've, you know, we've made it. We made it here. I mean, and look, I'm never going to pick up my dirty clothes from, from the floor. Oh you know, gosh. you're never going to put the dog today. leash or your keys where they're supposed to go. <laughs> we're going to do things that piss each other off, but we've. But we've learned to we've learned to to work through these things as a team and to understand to pick our battles, right? We know 
how far we've come and I'm fine. Uh, I'm happy with the things about you that piss me off now as opposed to the things <laughs> about you that pissed me off before. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, this is what marriage is, you know, and, and we've, we've literally every single day, we have not only worked on ourselves, we've worked on our relationship and, and it has been work. I mean, when all this stuff happened, there was so much crying and the trust wasn't there. And we could, and we didn't go over any of that in, the, in this, um, cause there's no need to, but it, it, and it's always just, it's always going to be work. But, you know, I, I do believe with both of us having, you know, the program that we have, like we could do anything, you know, and that's absolutely the most magical thing that I could ever ask for. Like, that's why I live. We're today. finally now the best current versions of ourselves to be the best versions for each other, you know, and there's still, we're not perfect and we're still, there's still room to grow. And this is going to be, this is, you know, this is going to be a challenge. It's going to be work. And there's no one on this planet that I'd rather work this hard for and with than you. Samesies. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it was nice to be able to get this out there and, and you know, the, let people hear a little bit more about not only me, but to hear from you and to hear about us, to, to show people that, you know, true love is possible to find no matter how broken you think you are, but it also does require time, work, you know, and there's a lot of growing pains involved. Um, how do you, let me ask this, what do, what do you do for a living now? I am case manager slash counselor for a counseling center. Like high school, kids getting into college? Drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mental health. Hmm. So something right up your alley. Oh, yeah. If uh, anything, I mean, if anything would have went any differently, I would have never found my passion. And this is my passion. So I'm grateful for my story. I'm grateful for our story. You know, it, it's my biggest asset in my profession is my experience. Definitely. Definitely. Well, awesome. Well, thank you for for being here with me today. I do have one last question for you. Okay. Uh, it's going to be kind of cliche, but I'm, I want to pick your brain a little. Uh, if you can go back 20 years and knowing what you know now, and you can tell 20 year younger you one thing, what would it be? Don't get caught. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I am um, I am a firm believer as ever, everything happens for a reason. If I were to go back and say anything to my younger self, I think that would have changed the timeline of events. Oh, what are you, the flash now? Uh, well, you know. <laughs> this like, is a flashpoint paradox. <laughs> the fuck like what I'm thinking of. <laughs> the fuck out of here. Um, but no, for real, like I, I am grateful for this wisdom, you know, and that's that's not something that could just be told to somebody. Um, it's something that like I had to experience myself. And so even if I went back and I told my younger self anything, chances are I would have listened to it anyways and still would have had to have the experience and, you know, still end up wherever, you know, I would have ended up depending on what I told my younger self. But see, I complicate things. Um, How about this? You want to, <laughs> you want to get really complicated for a second? 
Okay, imagine that you're 20 years older. Yeah. And you came back to this moment. What would 20-year-older Monica tell you today? Don't worry about stupid shit. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, like, that's a cycle of mine. I, you know, spin over things and worry about things when if I just do what I'm supposed to do, things have a way of working themselves out. If I just constantly stay in today, which is a practice that I constantly have to do and doesn't go perfectly every day. Um, but I think that would probably like I, I could totally see myself in 20 years being like, why were you why would you even care about why do you even worry about that? I mean, I do that like for stuff like a week ago. <laughs> like. Why do you spend so much time thinking about that? You know, See, and the reason why I like to ask people <laughs> that question is because generally, if it's advice that I'm giving to myself from someone who is presumably wiser than the version of me now, maybe I should listen. So maybe you should, you know, chill the fuck out. Like you just said, don't they think so seriously? I've gotten better. I thought you were going to say, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, you know, oh, I would tell, tell people, hey, make sure you subscribe and like the podcast and oh, download it yes that's just kidding okay. that's what i really so there's the call to, to action say. guys so if you know <laughs> go ahead and give this a like subscribe wherever you're listening to this you know it, it helps us out a lot and uh you know thank you for being here with me today you know i love you i love you so very much and i appreciate you always and forever and i love and appreciate you too and if you guys haven't told someone you love that you love them today. What the fuck are you waiting for? <laughs>